It's the weekend edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. We're talking NIL, name, image, and likeness. Here we go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in to this weekend edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for logging in and listening, whether you've done so on Spotify, Google, Apple, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. As we said in the intro, we're going to spend this entire podcast really talking about NIL, name, image, and likeness with regards to college athletics, because once again, it's made its way into the forefront. We saw later in the week of last that you had Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher having a war awards. Deion Sanders got interjected into it because of the fact that now coaches are getting a little bit upset with one another about how they're utilizing the NIL rules within their own state, what that means for recruiting, what that's going to mean, obviously, for play on the field, all of those elements coming into play. So it became a bit of a soap opera once again at the end of last week. So what we're going to do today is we're going to break this thing up into three segments. We'll talk first in the immediacy here about what is NIL and give a little bit of a brief history lesson with regards to name, image, and likeness. In the second segment, we'll talk about the void that was left by the NCAA and their lack of foresight with regards to NIL and really kind of what that has done as far as the upheaval within college athletics. And then in the third segment, we'll get into that Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, Deion Sanders soap opera that took place in this past week. But in the forefront, let's move into what NIL is for those that may not understand it. Uh, NIL is name, image, and likeness. It's a simple, simple definition. And basically what it is saying is that the possibility for an athlete to be compensated to promote, partner, or represent a brand for an organization would be okay. The beneficial relationship for the athlete is there because they have the ability not only to make a couple of dollars, but they also then have the ability to have their name out there. And and let's face it, if you're building a brand, which is what everybody's been trying to do these days, getting your name out there becomes very, very important. So we get to NIL, we have to go back a few years. Actually, you could go back, if you really wanted a deep history lesson, you could go back a long time ago, all right, maybe to the beginning of 2000, with Ed O'Bannon and his brother at UCLA kind of raising some eyebrows over the fact that their likeness was being used on a video game and they're not being compensated. Now, let's face it, even though college athletes are compensated for their time, meaning they're getting a free education, they get to travel, 
they're, they're getting some perks that other students don't get, they also are putting in an enormous amount of time in order to perform their duties. And so they, like other college students, find themselves at times with empty pockets. And when you see your likeness being utilized for someone else's profit and you don't have a dime in your pocket and you could really go for a pizza on a Thursday night, you get where some of these student athletes were getting a little anxious as far as what was happening within the world of amateurism, as the NCAA always liked to state that college athletics was. And so we move into then September of 2019. The discussion regarding what took place in September of 2019, actually, you can go back a couple of years prior, but in September of 2019, the California legislature introduced a law, introduced a bill that would prohibit schools from punishing student athletes who profit from endorsements. And so already back in 2019, we were seeing a state like California step forward and say, listen, we're not going to punish our student athletes who are gaining endorsements because of their level of popularity. We're not going to do it. It's okay. So what did that do? That sent shockwaves throughout the country, right? You've got a number of universities out there who are saying, listen, if California can do this and we can't, the competitive disadvantage that will take place is going to be enormous. So it didn't take long for the state of Florida, which the following June passed its own NIL legislation. You had other states that were in the process of passing their own NIL legislation because obviously you have boosters of these major universities connected with state legislatures and you know doggone well they were getting on the phone going listen we can't be three steps behind a Florida a California when it comes to recruiting because they have the ability to allow their athletes to have endorsements we need something here so in the process of all of that we fast forward to March of 2021 in the Supreme Court was handed a case in which they presided over, and the case was the National Collegiate Athletic Association, the NCAA versus Alston. What ended up happening in June was the fact that they determined that the NCAA was violating antitrust laws by restricting athletes to be compensated. So by June 21st of 2021, the Supreme Court unanimously, and you never think about all of the different cases, all of the number of cases that the Supreme Court has presided over, there's usually a dissent. You usually have a dissenting judge who writes an opinion as to why they didn't believe in what the court was ruling in giving their opinion. Many a times in this case, it would have been favor of the NCAA. Not one judge in this case, sided with the NCAA. The Supreme Court basically said, and Judge Kavanaugh, um, in, a, in a concurring opinion, wrote, and I quote, price-fixing labor is price-fixing labor, and price-fixing labor is ordinarily a textbook antitrust problem because it extinguishes the free market in which individuals can otherwise obtain fair compensation for their work. He finishes the statement by saying the NCAA is not above the law. 
So that is what put the NIL out there. Name, image, and likeness suddenly became law. It was what I like to say rubber stamped by the United States Supreme Court. And now the NCAA and all of its universities were going to figure out how are we going to do this. Now we get to the next segment, which we'll do here in just a second. We're going to talk about the NCAA as far as this idea of a free market goes, what their place should be, what they should maybe have done, and what they're going to need to do coming up if they're going to maintain control of the athletic programs across the country who are NCAA-bounded schools. And we'll get to that in just a sec. All right, so let's continue on with this idea of name, image, and likeness and what it has meant for collegiate athletics across the country. And when we wrap and we get into the third segment, as we wrap things up, we're going to talk about the soap opera from last week because really what you had are two big-name coaches get into a tit-for-tat when we throw in also Deion Sanders But the feelings that were expressed, I think, that are feelings being felt by a number of coaches, regardless of what side you stand on, across the country. Now, whether or not Nick Saban, quote-unquote, broke code, which seems to be a uh, $5 term everyone likes to use these days, that remains to be seen. But it is something that the NCAA could have somewhat prevented, and which is the topic of this segment, has been the NCAA's reluctance to really once again get out in front of something. The NCAA has, over the past 10, 15, 20 years at least, been reactive instead of proactive. Knowing what was going to happen, Again, we saw back in 2019 what the California legislature had planned on doing. That discussion, as I noted, you could probably go back even two years prior. So this is not something that blindsided the NCAA whatsoever. Not whatsoever. But again, they chose to be reactive. So instead of putting forth a group, because we're talking about major universities in this country, some of the brightest minds that we have in our country are found on these various campuses. And all you had to do, and it sounds simplistic, and to some degree it is, even though I know the work would be much more complicated, but the start of the solution is not that complicated. You get a group together. Heaven knows the NCA can put forth committees and groups on every other topic under the sun but really didn't chose to put together a group that would get out in front of this. Instead, what the NCA chose to do was send their lobbyists, whether it was to local state legislatures or then to Washington, D.C., to try and lobby those legislatures, those senators, those representatives into not allowing NIL to become federal law. And as I said, you could see by what the Supreme Court ruled as far as it being a a non-dissension within the Supreme Court that the feeling in Washington really was anti-NCAA. 
So the NCAA, through the whole course of this once again, instead of getting out in front of it, they became reactive. Now, one of the things I constantly hear, and I, and I absolutely agree with, and it was one of the things that you heard Judge Kavanaugh put in his concurring opinion, and I'll just take the little excerpt out of it, is that he talks about free market. And I hear this time and time again. Anytime uh, Colin Cowherd brings it up on his show with his guests or when he's talking with Joy Taylor, this idea of free market is being presented. And they're right. It should be a free market. These student-athletes should have the ability to get some compensation for name, image, and likeness, whether it's helping a, a store um, sell some goods, uh, uh, helping a car dealership sell some cars, uh, whatever the case may be. I mean, the, the number of things that could be utilized under NIL um, are, are, are pretty awe-inspiring when you think of all of the things one could do in order to benefit from their name, image, and likeness, the old NIL. I keep saying it over and over, but to go back to what I was saying when we were talking about free market, we live in a society, we live in a free market society, but within that free market society, there are guidelines, there are laws, there are rules that companies, regardless of what that company is, that they are supposed to follow. And if they don't follow them, there are penalties that ensue. Why couldn't the NCAA jump out in front of this provided the guidelines, knowing that maybe after a year or two, that committee would have to reconvene and say, you know what, this is working, this isn't working, let's replace it with this. And told universities and told senators and representatives in Washington, here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay out the parameter. We are going to agree with what you're saying that, okay, we have broken antitrust laws, so we're going to provide rules and regulations around how universities need to operate in order to make this work. And that's where the NCA failed. What the NCA has essentially done has stepped back until recently, but has stepped back and, and hoped that maybe one of the universities could come up with a set of parameters, a set of rules that the NCA could just pluck from and somehow turn that into a national agenda. This is where the NCA is void of leadership, and this is where the NCAA gets hammered repeatedly by yours truly and others around the country. They have a daunting task. There is no doubt about it. But much of what they do lacks any sort of urgency, and that lack of urgency, that lack of forethought is really what gets them into trouble. How many times have we now seen basketball programs suddenly become penalized? I, I would almost guarantee there will be a program going into, let's say, basketball season this year that will be penalized with the fact that they won't be able to participate in the postseason for something that happened six, seven, eight years ago. None of those players on that program were a part of whatever that infraction was. In many a cases, neither was the coach. The university stays the same. The colors of the university stay the same. The coach and the players have long left, and yet the NCAA will come in and, and offer the fact that 
these infractions occurred. So here's the penalty that must ensue. And the players are sitting there going, I was in middle school. I was in grade school. How can you walk in and punish us? We had nothing to do with this. In many cases, as I noted, the same thing goes for the coach. The coach is sitting there going, that was not me. That was an entirely different regime. Now, I, I come from the standpoint, and this is me with my opinion on this, that all universities do something under the table. The letter or the degree by which they follow the letter of the law, well, that can remain to be seen. But the NCAA takes so long to enact something that should have been done years ago. Again, another black eye for the NCAA and how things move forward. So you have to believe there are people right now who are skirting NIL rules and regulations within each state. And that then becomes, or what will be, I think, the challenge here in the next year or two is that each state has different NIL laws And so student-athletes really, really, really have to be careful about how they go about issuing name, image, and likeness in order to be compensated because every state is slightly different. And then if the NCAA wants to be punitive like they have a tendency to do, they'll end up blaming the student-athlete for not following, quote-unquote, the letter of the law and then punishing the university in turn or the coach or whatever the case may be. However, once again, had the NCAA put out those parameters, again, I understand we're in a free market society, but within a free market society, it is not the wild, wild west. There are still rules and regulations that have to be implemented, and those organizations who are within the free market society have to follow those even though they're parameters and they give you leeway in order to be as productive and as you can from a financial standpoint, that's, that's what the NCAA needed to do. And the NCAA can't turn a blind eye to the fact that they knew this was coming and they failed to do what was necessary to put in place rules and regulations to allow this this element of a free market enterprise to take place and they wouldn't have necessarily gotten another black eye. How many eyes does the NCAA have and how many can somebody blacken with that organization's ineptitude again to think forward, to think through the mess, put people in power that can lead, that can see where athletics in this free enterprise system is headed to to engage all of the universities across the country in an arena that is fair for everyone but still gives the latitude for student athletes to prosper once again from their name image and likeness so that that's my stint with regards to the NCA let's take another quick break and then let's get into the soap opera that kind of brought this all back into the headlines this past week and that was Nick Saban Jimbo Fisher, a little Deion Sanders, and we'll get to it right after this. All right, let's close things out on this weekend edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. 
with the soap opera this week, all in and around name, image, and likeness. So it started with Nick Saban, the head football coach at Alabama, who has had extraordinary success in his tenure at Alabama, kind of thought of as the Bill Belichick of collegiate athletics with the success he's had with the Crimson Tide. And it was Saban who got the ball rolling. And I quote, I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player, all right? But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. It's tough, unquote. Well, that sent the shot over the proverbial ball, and then Jimbo Fisher responded with this. It's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody, and more importantly, 17-year-old kids. You're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families that they broke state laws and that they, and they're all money. We bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. And the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things and these families is despicable and that a reputable head coach can come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way, unquote. So actually, in the midst of all of that, kind of both were right. Number one, if we look at the end of what Nick Saban said, Nick Saban said it's hard, to go, hard for us in the future to be able to sustain what we're doing at Alabama and the way we recruit because of the changes in NIL, and he finished up his quote by saying, it's tough. Nick Saban is 70. Change does not always go well as you start getting up in years, and to now have to shift a huge paradigm shift in how you recruit in and of the fact that others are out there, like Texas, like California, like Florida, that can offer substantial NIL deals to these players and entice them to attend that particular university changes the whole recruiting landscape. That's not going to sit well for somebody like Nick Saban. And then when you get to somebody like Jimbo Fisher and he says they that in essence, they and I'll paraphrase, that they didn't break any state laws, and that goes back to what we were saying in the second segment. Because of the fact that universities are following the rules of their specific state and that each state has little intricacies that are different from one to the other, what might be okay at Alabama is not okay at Texas A&M and vice versa, and that's what sets all of these tit-for-tats off, like we saw with Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Then you mix Deion Sanders in it, who felt somehow like he was a pawn in this whole thing, with regards to uh, what was being said uh, with Nick Saban. Then you get that Florida component, the, the southeastern quadrant of our country. We're talking Alabama, Georgia, Florida. All of the things that take place in those areas as far as recruiting goes and the wars that go on in trying to bring kids into their specific universities – this essentially could have all been avoided, again, had the NCA laid out some parameters within what is now a free market as far as recruiting goes. The hard part is somewhat twofold. Number one, let's not pretend 
Alabama has been um, old lily white in all of this. There are no halos and angel wings uh, with regards to recruiting at Alabama. Now, to what degree, who knows? And And I'll say allegedly, maybe I should do that for legal reasons so that nothing takes place. But you have to believe whatever Alabama was doing, not only have they created an unbelievable program with unbelievable facilities, but it's still an open market for some of these recruits. And so I I can't, again, say it for sure, but I would allegedly believe that there was a little something going on in order to help those recruits pick Alabama over some of the other schools. Texas A&M has been one of those schools that we've talked about and talked about and talked about with regards to college athletics. They've never really gotten over the hump. They're now using the rules and parameters that the state has dictated for them to go out and use NIL to help recruit and bring in a better class of talent in hopes that they could win a national championship. The part that really that that uh, kind of really rubs you the wrong way is the fact that Nick Saban is is essentially looking for a playing field that is even. In other words, Nick Saban, he, he wants compatibility across all of football so that there are no competitive advantages, which is essentially to me saying that, Coach, you've had essentially a competitive advantage for the last, oh, 10, 12, 15 years. And we've seen it by the recruits that have come to Alabama and the fact you've won numerous national championships and have played for national championships in which you've lost in the championship game. But again, your program was right there in the mix. And I think Nick Saban's looking out the window going, I've got a lot of other schools right now who have been able to get out in front of name, image, and likeness, use it to their advantage, and what it's going to do is create a competitive disadvantage for us, meaning we're not going to be able to roll through the SEC the way we used to. We're not going to be able to go out there and recruit the way we used to using our, what I will now term, old system. It's not going to happen that way, so we've got a huge paradigm shift that has to take place. And again, when you get up in age, when you're 70 years old, you're looking at it thinking, I don't know if I want to do all of this in order to go out there and bring, in this case, young men into the program. We saw in basketball, there have been a number of coaches who have retired this year because of name, image, and likeness and because of the transfer portal, which is another factor in this. You've got students now who can jump in the transfer portal find a name, image, and likeness deal, excuse me, that's a little better at another school, and they enter the transfer portal and make their way to the other school. The transfer portal is a whole nother podcast that we could get into because, once again, it's there. The NCA has not put any parameters necessarily around it. They're trying to reel it back in. They're trying to create a window, shall we say, which I think makes all the sense in the world that students who want to transfer, here's the window. You have to declare that you want to move to another school within this window, and then once that window closes, that's it. You cannot transfer after this specific date. And I think what we're going to see with the transfer portal is the fact that you've got, I think if we look at basketball, 
you average across Division One four players on every team, four players on every Division One basketball team, on average, has entered into the transfer portal. That's a lot of players. What I would love to see is someone out there do some research and find out how many of those players that enter the transfer portal actually end up at another school. Because you know in many cases those students who enter the transfer portal who don't find themselves another landing spot and who want to turn around and go back to their old university, many of those coaches aren't that receptive. They're already filling spots on their team in order to move forward. And so not only are they filling spots, which, ta- which takes away the scholarship, there's, there's, there's a little pettiness there too. Like you wanted to leave, then go ahead and leave and, and good luck to you. So again, here's the NCAA that now deals with name, image, and likeness, now dealing with the transfer portal and not setting any sort of parameters. Kids should have the right. Like you can have that window, but I think student athletes, if a coach leaves, you know, we lo- we allow coaches to leave all the time to go out and take another job for more money. I think that would open up a special window for players to say, you know what, I was recruited by this coach. I wanted to play for this coach. He's left. She's left. Now I want to leave as well. I don't think there should be an issue with that. But if we're just talking about student athletes who are thinking about moving, having, again, some parameters set up would be useful and I think would take the edge off of people like Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders. And you can name all of the Division One coaches you want, take the edge off because, again, you know how things are going to operate. I mean, Alabama could have a star running back who all of a sudden after spring practices – I don't know, doesn't like uh, the play calling, a new system, a new assistant coach, whatever, and decide, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on. That's a tough blow for a team to now try and find a replacement. So again, it's okay to have a free market enterprise, but the NCAA needs to put their big boy pants on and figure out how do we put parameters around these things so that things will move a little bit more smoothly and there will be some calmer waters ahead for collegiate athletics. All right, that'll do it then for the weekend edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. We'll be back during the week. We'll obviously be talking about the Brewers, who uh, have taken two so far in that Washington National Series, Game 3 getting ready to take place uh, today. So we'll talk about that after coming off an impressive uh series win against the Atlanta Braves. We'll see what's happening in and around the NFL. We'll talk some NBA playoffs and anything else that jumps into the headlines. We'll get to it later in the week. Once again, I'm Don Wichelis. Thank you so much for joining us here on the 414 Sports Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care of one another. We'll talk to you soon.